good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I'd ask you to please turn in the Word of God again tonight to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. So Nehemiah 6 verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built at the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. And the enemies are mentioned here, the enemies of the work of God, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arabian. And they come to the realization that the work has continued. And despite their efforts to hinder it, despite their efforts to, to bring it to naught, God has had his hand upon this work. And so the work has continued, and the enemies realize that, and it causes them to intensify their efforts. When the work of God progresses, the attacks do increase in frequency and in severity. And so here in verse number one, we see that the work is almost complete. Not quite, but almost. The doors still need to be hung. And so the chapter, uh, with that introduction, then leads us into a number of strategic attacks and actually, when you study the portion there, there are three distinct attacks. I'm going to call the first attack an attack of compromise, then one of conspiracy, and then one marked by correspondence. And the first one is in verses uh, 1 through to 9. So let's read those verses together at this time. So verse 1 we've read, They have heard that Nehemiah has built the wall, and that there was no breach left therein. And then verse 2 says, That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work. So that I cannot come down, why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. And then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Geshem saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words? And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now therefore, let us take counsel together. And then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And so you see that this account, this attack, comes by way of an offer of a truce. That's the sense of the words of verse number 7. Come now therefore, and let us take counsel together. And there is a desire for a truce. 
Now we know this is an attack of pretense. In verse number 2, it says there, Come, let us meet together. But they thought to do me mischief. And then I recognize this offer of a truce is not a genuine offer at all. The location itself was a clue to their mischief. Nehemiah was to come towards their territory. You have the, the place mentioned here, one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, whilst you may like to say that the words, oh no, are a clue that he should say no, uh, that's not the sense at all, but rather the idea is that this was a place near where Sambalat and Geshem were from. He was trying to, to, they were trying to bring Nehemiah towards their territory, the valley, not far from the borders of Samaria and Sambalat's associates. And their desire was plain. They wanted to delay the work of God by distracting the Lord's servant. When God's servants are distracted, that is often the method the devil uses to delay the work of God. And yet their offer of a truce and their pretense comes with persistence. Verse 4, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. And the persistence of the enemies is met by persistence on the part of Nehemiah. He has said in verse number 3, I am doing a great work that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? And he answers them, verse 4, after the same manner all of these times. Again, the attacks against God's work will often come with persistence. We can, we can perhaps look upon this portion of Scripture with application to the church at large, but let's not miss the application to our souls individually and personally. There may be particular sins in our lives, and we, we find ourselves getting the victory once and twice and the third time. And we think to ourselves, well, I've got the victory over this sin, and then what happens? The devil comes the fourth time or the fifth time. We must always keep ourselves alert that we would continually be persistent in saying, I am doing a great work. I will not be distracted from my, my work for God. And so as the persistence increases, so does the pressure in verse number 5. They come in like manner, this time with an open letter in their hand. And this, this letter, it adds to the pressure uh, upon Nehemiah, really recommending the, the sense of compromise at this time. There is a pretense of friendship here. And Sam Ballot comes and there's a, a rumor he tells to them, you know, Nehemiah, there are things being said about you out there. There are things being reported in the, in the, in the regular form of, of social media, if you like. Rumors of rebellion. The reason for your building the wall, verse number 6, is that you want to rebel. You want to overthrow the, the rulers here, here over you at this time. Geshem says so, and you've even gone so far as to appoint prophets to stir up the rebellious spirits. This was slanderous. These were false accusations. Again, I think it's worth a passing comment regarding the, the subject of gossip at this time. Sometimes God's people can engage in gossip in a manner that seems to be honorable. They may desire to spread rumors, but do so under a guise of seeking to quash rumors. And so somebody will go along to their friend and they will say, surely it can't be true what I heard about so-and-so. 
That, that mustn't be true. And in essence, rather than seeking to deny the rumor, the heart is to spread the rumor further. And that's what's happening here. Uh, they are seeking to say, well, these rumors, they're going about. There's a rumor about that, that you're going to, uh, to rebel. It's been reported among the heathen. And it sounds so genuine. But really, they're seeking to cause and stir up trouble. It's in pretense. And to that pretense, Nehemiah then brings a word of protest. Verse number eight. There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest, or you imagine them out of your own heart. You're making them up. There is a time to contest slander and lies. And so Nehemiah, he protests this in verse number eight. And then in verse number nine, we find this matter of prayer. He's aware of the dangers. He is astute to the dangers. He has not compromised. He's not allowed himself to be duped into this false truce that would uh, hinder the work. But he realizes that all of this must be done in the spirit of prayer. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Again, I saw, there's a lesson there in terms of our, of our personal living of the Christian life. We, we know for a period of time, we know something in the manner of success in the ways of holiness. But then we grow weary or we grow lethargic or we grow careless. And we presume that tomorrow I've had the victory yesterday, then tomorrow's going to be fine. But here Nehemiah, having five times resisted the pressure to compromise, he still says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. That's a godly spirit. We must never, ever grow complacent as the devil seeks to attack us personally or corporately as a church. So that's attack number one, the offer of compromise. Attack number two comes in the form of a conspiracy. Now let's read from verse number 10. Afterward, there's the clue that we're into something new here. Afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee, and he is there, that being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid, and do so in sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have me put in fear. Conspiracy. We know the conspiracy because of verse number 12. He says, Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Now, this is an attack of great subtlety. One of Nehemiah's own people are involved in this subtle attack to bring Nehemiah down. We're not told. We're not told why Nehemiah goes to this house. It seems to be that Nehemiah has been invited, though, Shemaiah is the one who's doing the talking. 
Again, it would seem likely that Shemaiah actually held the office of a priest. It's not mentioned here, but in, in Nehemiah 10, in the verse number 8, Maziah, Bilgal, Shemaiah, these were the priests. So it is likely that Shemaiah was uh, one of the priests at this time. And, again, we're not told why he is shut up at this time, but it seems to be that his disability was not such that he could be kept from moving to the temple. And so there is, yes, some mystery. But the form of it is that he claims to be speaking for the Lord. Verse number 12, I perceive that God had not sent him. There's a recognition that he's, he's not from God, but his suggestion is, his pretenses, again, pretense being used, his pretenses that we should go to the temple to escape death. Nehemiah, you're a very important figure in this work. They're going to try to kill you. Go to the temple with me and you shall be safe. Nehemiah again protests. He says, no, he was not a priest. And it was forbidden for him to go into areas of the temple reserved for the priestly line. And thus to flee would hinder the work, this time not by distraction, but because he would commit sin and therefore he would be held to reproach in verse number 13. The desire was that he would commit evil and then they'd have an evil reproach to give against him. It was a scheme, a ploy. A man of God, Shemaiah, being used for the devil's work, that Nehemiah would sin and reproach would fall upon him. A man of God is not bringing you the will of God if they tell you to disobey the word of God. And Nehemiah is astute to that. And again, we find him going to the Lord in prayer, verse number 14. He always goes to the Lord. We're not going to deal with that as a particular aspect of application, but just say to you now that in all of the attacks of the evil one, we must have recourse to get to the throne of grace, that mercy seat where there is safety and a refuge. And so we find him here in verse 14, my God. You remember we saw it in verse number 9, now therefore, O God. And here we find it in verse number uh, 14, my God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works. Lord, think upon them. You think of Romans 12, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. There is this second attack of conspiracy. And then you have attack number three. It's from verse 17 to 19, but it follows the success noted in 15 and 16. So let's read 15 and 16. So the wall was finished. Nehemiah's held off against these attacks, and it's finished in the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. A remarkable feat, and it came to pass. That when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. And that's what I say. This third attack is, a, is a, an attack of correspondence. There are letters going back to and fro. 
And the conspiracy this time in form of correspondence is between Tobiah and these various nobles of Judah. Those who should be standing with Nehemiah, they are against Nehemiah. Those who held authority, they came to Nehemiah and they said, you know, Tobiah is not such a bad fellow after all. Look what it says, verse 19. They reported his good deeds before me. You know, you're too suspicious. You're not trusting enough. This good fellow Tobiah has been trying to help you out of all, all of these, these days, and, and you've kept pushing Tobiah away. Why would you be so suspicious and fault-finding when you could embrace someone who clearly wants to come alongside you? They are trying to cause trouble. They report Nehemiah's deeds to Tobiah. There's this coming and going. You, you won't believe what Nehemiah's up to now. And there's a, a stirring up of dissension and dispute against Nehemiah's works. You see, Tobiah has contacts. These references in verse 18 to his, him being the son-in-law and his son taking the daughter. That's about putting pressure on. Sometimes you find that in the work of God. Again, there's a, a sin in the camp. It needs dealt with. And some will go, do you know whose daughter-in-law that is? Do you know who they're married to? And Shekinah, that family, they were involved in the first return with Zerubbabel. Meshulam, he was prominent in the work of rebuilding the wall in Nehemiah chapter 3. These are upright members of the uh, church society. These are upright members of the, of the returning captives. Tobiah is involved with them. You know, heritage and family matters, doesn't not Nehemiah? There is this relentless pursuit against Nehemiah to stop the work of God. And so I think it's important that we, that we just see some of the details regarding these three attacks. Which then leads to just, just a four words, very quickly, four brief words of application in terms, to, of, in terms of lessons regarding our work here, corporately and also our lives individually. The first thing is a matter of principle. In this section, uh, there is a clear principle. And that is, fear is a hindrance to the work of God. Look at verse 9. For they all made us afraid. Verse number 14. They, or that would have put me in fear. And verse number 19. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. The devil knows that when God's people are scared... They freeze. You know, God's people are prone to fear. And the devil knows that. And when we are afraid, then we freeze in the work of God. You see, fear rises in a heart that is weak in faith. You think of the account of Mark chapter 4 when the disciples are on the boats and the Lord says to him, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? When there is fear, there is a lack of faith. And when there is strong faith, then there's an overcoming of fear. 
See, when the people of God lack faith, they become afraid, and then the work of God is hindered. You see, the people of God, we will always struggle with the fear of the face of man. What are we saying we believe? We believe that salvation is only through the person and work of Christ. And you take that message to a religious world who are convinced that their works are enough, who are convinced that their works, yes, perhaps in addition to Christ's, will get them to God. And you go to your loved ones, and you go to your family, and you tell them they're living a lie. You tell them that all of their confidence and works are taking them to a lost eternity. Who does not fear the face of a loved one or a neighbor or a friend? We fear that they will point out our hypocrisy. We, we fear that they will point out our inconsistencies. And because of fear, we say nothing for the Lord. Fear is a hindrance in the work of God. We may fear ungodly government. We may fear if we begin to preach in the public square that we will bring down opposition upon our heads and we're, we're quite comfortable. And so the devil knows that. And we have these, these attacks, these three attacks. And the point of them all was to cause Nehemiah to be afraid. The devil wants us to live in fear. And the remedy, of course, is that we know the power of the Spirit of God. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And so there is this principle that fear hinders the work of God. And in a prayer meeting, this is the time we must seek God's face that we would by the Spirit apply the truth. And that whatever God would have us to do in this place in the days to come, that we'd not be hindered because of fear. But the second application really comes from me personally in, in the form of a plea. The attacks of the devil are often aimed at the leaders of the work of God. The archer's bow was raised in this chapter, and the target is singularly Nehemiah. He alone at this time, they are seeking to distract him, to discredit him. They seek to cause him to sin and to fear. And so I ask you personally to please pray. I very much need the prayers of God's people to, to guard my heart, to be astute to the wiles of the evil one. And so please pray for me. Pray for the elders of our denomination. Pray for our ministers. Pray for the presbytery. The devil's devices are to cause the leaders to compromise and to commit sin. The third thing is, I suppose, a word regarding the peril here, the danger here. And that is that we need to be watchful regarding the subtlety of the evil one. Some of these attacks, they were incredibly subtle. We are not ignorant, says Paul, of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2, or refers to the wiles of the devil, Ephesians chapter 6. There is the offer here of peace and compromise. What we see in Nehemiah 6 is the essence of ecumenism. The devil is behind the cause of the ecumenical movement. 
Those who propagate ecumenism may have an honorable desire. They don't want to see disagreements and divisions upon those who all say they believe the same gospel. Surely unity is the desire of God for his church. And thus if we stand against ecumenism, then are we not standing against the will of God? And so they will say to us, come to the valley of Ono. And we must reply, I'm not joking, we must reply, oh no. We can engage in that level of compromise. You see, ecumenism is the devil's device to do two things. It is to prevent the advance of the work of God by undermining the force of the preaching of truth. Souls are saved when truth is preached. But when truth is compromised, then that truth is not preached. And then souls are not being saved. The enemies of God, they desired compromise. But Nehemiah knew it was an attempt of mischief to slope the work of God. Humanism is founded upon the notion that truth will come to the place of error and compromise. Ecumenism never moves in the direction of truth. It always, always, always has moved in the direction of error. You'll be aware of the, of the old document, the Evangelicals and Catholics together. There was no movement at all in the Church of Rome. All the movement was in the Protestant Church regarding their compromise in their definition of justification. Truth is hindered. The gospel is not preached. And then, souls are not under the truth of the Word of God. You see, the false teaching here comes in the guise of an angel of light. Shemaiah seemed to be coming with a godly plan to save the work of God. We must, we must not be ignorant of the devil's devices. And then finally, there is the promise, the reassurance. When the work is God's work, it will not be hindered by the evil one's devices. Verse 16, For they perceived that this work was wrought of God. How did Nehemiah navigate his way through it all? Surely he must have struggled to fall here or there, but he seemed to get his way through it. How? Only by grace. Only by God keeping him. Only by God giving the wisdom to be perceptive to the danger. And so the work was not hindered. In fact, in 50 and two days, the work was complete. Not because it was Nehemiah's work, but because this work was wrought of our God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.